Uh, please turn with me to Luke and chapter 11. And uh, once again, we will be considering the passage that we read uh, last week, Luke chapter 11, and beginning to read at verse 14. This is speaking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, As he was casting out a demon, and it was mute, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all the armor on which he relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Now, we will continue our consideration of this passage that uh, we began last Lord's Day. And uh, there's a sense in which I think that the verse 23 is, is really what sets the context of what our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is saying to these Jews. And verse 23 helps us to understand what's going on in this world. Because as you very well know, we live in a world that's full of divisions. We live in a world that's full of all kinds of what we might call shades of gray. And yet here, 
the Lord Jesus Christ is helping us to understand the world in a simple and straightforward way. This world ultimately is divided into two. Those who love Jesus and those who don't. That's the simple division. And the Lord Jesus Christ here, he emphasizes the point in order for us to understand the choices that are before us as we continue our lives in this world. So even this morning, as we sit here this morning in this church, listening to me, I want to warn you, remind you that either you belong to Jesus or you don't. Either you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus or you are not. Either you have given your life to Christ or you have not. Those are the only categories that the Bible recognizes. There is the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. There is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. And you belong to one or the other. There is no third option. So that God is not at all sort of looking at, 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 you know, human beings and, you know, thinking about, you know, there's that person who is, you know, he, he, he doesn't really hate the Lord Jesus. You know? Neither is he for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in sort of just this gray area. There's nothing like that. You either are loyal, loving the Lord Jesus, living for the Lord Jesus, or you are living for yourself, which means you are living for the devil, which means you are in the kingdom of Satan, which means you are against the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really the most important point that the Lord Jesus Christ makes in this passage. Because notice there, you see, that the, way the response to that miracle, when the Lord Jesus Christ had healed this person who had been tormented by a demon to the effect that he was not able to speak and perhaps not able to hear. But once the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked and cast out the demon and people were amazed that we are told that there was this group of people who not only, you know, sort of, they did not ex express open rebellion. They did not express open um, antagonism against the Lord Jesus. They, they seemed like they were interested and said to him, you know, it, it would be a good idea if we could see more of some more signs from you so that we would really be convinced that you truly are the Messiah. Uh, and, and it's through people like that that the Lord Jesus Christ is really directing his response that either you love the Lord Jesus 
or you don't. Either you are a disciple of Christ or you are not. Either you are in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of Satan. In the kingdom of light or in the kingdom of darkness. There is no middle ground. In this world, there are only those two groups of people. The people who genuinely love the Lord Jesus and are loyal to him and his kingdom and the interests of the kingdom of God or those who are in the kingdom of Satan. So, you could be a very religious person, a good man, a fair-minded person, but if you are not wholehearted a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in the kingdom of Satan. You, you don't need to be a, a, a person who persecutes Christians and, and, and you know, is out there speaking at the top of his voice that he's against God to be one who is an antichrist. You could just be one who does nothing about Jesus. You know, you are not against him. You are not for him. It's just not something you have thought about. Yet just that is enough to put you in the kingdom of Satan. That's all there is to it. You don't have to be like the Apostle Paul who was you know, going about and, 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 and killing people and dragging them to prison for you to be in the kingdom of Satan. You could just be like I said, a good person as you are, seated this morning in this church, looking like an angel, and still on your way to hell, right here. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ makes that important warning, that important distinction. Either you have submitted, bended your knee to Jesus, or you are in the kingdom of Satan. You may not like the fact that you are in the kingdom of Satan, but you are. Because there is no other category that exists. Only these two are there in the entire Bible. Remember what happened in Genesis and chapter 3 when Eve was deceived and God was pronouncing judgment. That is where it begins. It speaks about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Those are the only two kingdoms in this world. 
So if you look at your life, ask yourself that question. In which kingdom am I this morning? Who am I loyal to? Is Jesus the number one priority in my life? Or, I mean, Jesus is a good man. I would never say anything bad about him. I mean, he came into this world and he did many good things. If that's all you are saying and thinking, I want you to know without any doubt, you are in the kingdom of Satan. If all you can think about is that Jesus is a good man, he was a good teacher, he taught us the golden rule, that he performed miracles, that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed because God was with him. If that is all you think about, ultimately, and on the day of judgment, it will be proved that there was no difference between you and these people here who think that Jesus is demon-possessed. That is the scenario that the Lord Jesus Christ imposes upon us all. And that is why this is a very important passage. Because it judges our hearts. This is a very important passage because it allows us to see ourselves for what we really And the question is basically this. Do I love Jesus? That's the question. Am I loyal to Jesus? Am I following Christ in my own heart of hearts? Is there, in the secrecy of my own heart, is there a genuine desire be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. That's all there is to it, friends. Those are the only two alternatives that you will ever face until you exit this world. There's no other alternative. There is no third option. It's loyal to Jesus or if you are loyal to anything else or anyone else it means you are in the kingdom you are in the camp of the evil one now when you look at that passage that way then it helps us to understand it because the first question that must, we must answer as we come to this passage is why did the Jews hate Jesus? That's a question. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Here is, and particularly the occasion in which we see this hatred, is where 
the Lord Jesus has openly helped a person who has been sick. He had been under bondage. And the Lord Jesus Christ rescues that man. He delivers him from the bondage of the demon. And in the light of such a glorious miracle, rather than praising God, rather than giving thanks to God because of what has happened, this is when we find these people expressing their hatred towards Jesus. You know, if they had expressed this hatred at a time when he had said to them, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself. Or you remember where he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must hate his father and mother, brother, sister, even his own life also. If at that time when he said something like that, and then they began to grumble, maybe we can understand but here, he rescued a man from demon possession. <clears throat> and you would expect that since these were religious people, they would say, thank God we do have a Messiah in our midst. And look what he is doing. He is rescuing our people from demon oppression and demon bondage. That is not how they react. <coughs> they react with a real antagonism, real hatred. They say he is not a servant of God. In fact, he is an agent of Satan. And they use one of the worst names for Satan. That is the one that they are happy to put on the Son of God. So again, we must ask the question, why? Why did they hate Jesus? Why this hatred? Well, there are many things we can say in answer to that particular question. But uh, the first thing we will be able to say here that this is propaganda. See, the, the Jews had a problem with Jesus. They had a problem because he did not conform to what they thought he should be. And, and because he was always speaking against them, they, they, they were uncomfortable with him. Rather than own the things that he was saying, they felt it would be safer to get rid of him. Now, they had a problem. How do you get rid of a man like this? You know, he, he, he 
he performs miracles. And they could not deny the validity of the miracles that he performed. So how, how do you get rid of a man like this? So they, they, they started a systematic smear campaign against Jesus. And this is exactly what they are doing here. It is this campaign to tell people that don't be deceived by this deceiver. He is not from God. He is in fact an agent of Satan. So, if you like, this was the party line. All the way from Jerusalem to all the people in Israel so that wherever Jesus went, they, they had been this whispering, this smearing campaign to tell the people that people should not be deceived. He is an agent of the devil. Because even now, if you notice here in, in verse 17, he says, he knew their thoughts. This is not something probably that they did not say audibly there. This is something they were, they, they were busy telling the people quietly, whispering to them, don't be deceived. What he's doing is not through God. He, he, he is doing it through Beelzebub, the, the, the prince of demons. So there's this smear campaign around. And the scriptures tell us there that he knew their thoughts. He knew the way they were thinking about it. He could read their minds what they were thinking about Jesus. But there was this systematic campaign to really paint Jesus black. To paint him in the worst possible way they can so that the people are not following him. That was the idea. So, the, the, this went all the way to the top brass in Jerusalem. This, if, if you like, was the party line. It's, it's like they were saying to them, if you really are a Jew, this is the way you must think about this man. If you really want to be in good books with God, this is the thought, this is the idea you must adopt. And at the end of the day, you find that they so decampaigned Jesus that at the end of the day, all the crowd was chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And finally, that is how they, together in collusion with the Romans, shed innocent blood. Because they hated Jesus. And remember when the Apostle Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is exactly the charge that he gives to the Jews in his day. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene 
a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. That's exactly what happened. Because they hated him. And they made it their business to decampaign him amongst the people. To force the people to say he is not from God. He is an agent of Satan. And finally, they succeeded. Attained the people against him. And took him. Remember, if you are not following Jesus, if Jesus is not number one in your life, you actually belong to this group of people. You might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I, I can't understand these Jews, why have they hated Jesus? If Jesus right now is not the number one priority in your heart, in your life, in the sight of God, there is no difference between you and these Jews. There's no difference. You might say to yourself, you know what? I, I Honestly, if I was there, I, I would not have participated. Yeah. Don't deceive yourself. If Jesus right now is not the overriding priority in your life, this is exactly your position before God. A position of hatred. A position of real antagonism against the spotless lamp of God, against the innocent sent from heaven into this world to rescue sinners. That is your position. So you may not have been there physically. To shout, crucify him, crucify him. If he is not number one right now, you are as guilty as this crowd was. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ wants the Jews to understand. And this is what the Lord Jesus wants you today to understand. 
you may be a person who speaks and rightly so speaks against abortion you may be a person who is against transgender ideas you may be a person who is really against a gay lifestyle but if Jesus is not number one in your heart there's no difference between you and these Jews who can say Jesus is an agent of Satan that is the tragic message of the Bible the tragic message of the Bible is that you can be religious. Very religious. Very committed to church. And still die and be lost and go to hell. That you can be religious. So religious. That Jesus is absolutely meaningless to you. That... Have you ever imagined that these men, they were not even concerned about the man who was healed? You know, he is a man who has been rescued from a demon. And I can imagine him glad and happy and speaking for the very first time. They are not interested in him. They, they probably, if they had opportunity, they would say to him, you know, don't be too happy. <laughs> because that man is from the devil. And you have dealings with the man from the devil. Instead of rejoicing with this man because of this wonderful blessing, because of this glorious miracle that he has just experienced. Such is their religion that they find it is their business to warn everyone about Jesus. That he's a deceiver. That he's from Satan. And that everything that he is doing, he is doing it through the power of Satan. You can be like that, my friend. So religious. So committed to Providence Reformed Baptist Church. One who understands the confession from cover to cover. And still be lost and go to hell. That's the warning of this passage, friends. Here were religious men. Here were men who had been exposed to the scriptures all the days of their lives. And right in their midst, there was the Son of God. There was God himself standing right there before them. And they called him Satan. You know the passage that we read in Exodus and chapter 8. Those magicians who 
whenever Moses and Aaron performed a miracle, the Bible says that they also, through their secret arts, would perform a similar miracle. And it says that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. We can say something positive for them. That a time came when they recognized that what was happening was not just something that happened. They said, this is the finger of God. In other words, this is God working. We cannot compete here. They, they, they admitted, no, we, we can do all kinds of things, but this, this is God working. At least they admitted that. Now here are, and by the way, those were pagans. Here are people who are not pagans. They are among the chosen people of God. They are among the group of people to whom God has given a revelation. And these are the ones who, speaking of Jesus, they call him Satan. I, I, I don't know how I could ever emphasize this, but I want to say to you, it's extremely important for you to love Jesus. To follow Jesus. To cling to Jesus. To look to him. Otherwise, otherwise, you will be lost like this way. Some of the most, the greatest enemies of Christianity are actually been religious people. They have proved again and again to be the greatest enemies of the gospel. It's those who think they know God. They are the ones who have been the greatest hindrance, the greatest enemies of the gospel of our Savior. It's always been like that. The devil has figured out that if all he did was to bring the outsiders, he could never make progress. He comes inside the church. <coughs> And he uses religious people like you and me. Those are the ones that he uses to stop the work of God. And that is why it's very important you ask yourself the question, do I honestly, sincerely, genuinely, Love Jesus. That's the question you must answer. You could come here for many reasons. You could be here because it looks good on you. You 
You could be here because it's family tradition. You could be here because mom and dad says you must be here. You could be here for any reasons. To remember, though, the most important reason is to be here because you love Jesus. That, that is what really counts at the end of the day. That you are here because Jesus means something to you. Jesus is attractive to you. Jesus is the one whom you love above every other love of your life. Jesus is the overriding priority in your life. That you are willing with the apostles to say, it is better to suffer than to disobey God. If that's the reason why you are here, then you are here for the right reason. And at the end of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ will stand, as it were, to welcome you into his eternal kingdom. Welcome, good and faithful servant. He will welcome you into his kingdom. Enter into the joy prepared by my father for his children from the foundations of the earth. That is what he's going to say to you. Welcome to you. Now, if you really think about it, it is tragic, but it is also true. There's a sense in which the Jews were correct. And it is in this sense. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then Jesus is a deceiver. And that is why you have no middle ground. Either Jesus is who he said he was, the son of the living God, or he is a deceiver. So you, you, you don't have the, the luxury of saying, you know what, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still praying and I'm still studying. Because at the end of the day, if that is your position, you will have no choice but to stand with these Jews and say, Jesus is an agent of Satan. Jesus is the greatest deceiver that ever lived. Jesus has hoodwinked the whole world. It's one or the other. And the question is, which is it for you? Which is it for you? Are you still in that position where you think, you know what? Not today. Maybe another day. You know, I wish he could show me something. 
I wish he could do something more to remove the doubt. I say to you, my friend, you have no such luxury. You only have a few days here on earth. And while you are still alive, you need to love Jesus and love him as your priority. Love him as one who left the glory of heaven and came into this world to rescue guilty and worthy sinners like you and me. And that you will be able to find your only hope in life and in death in this one who came. That you are placing all your eggs in this basket. And you're saying, if I perish, I'll perish in this basket. Trusting in this one who went to the cross and died to make me whole. So, this passage is saying to you and me, who is Jesus to you? Have you thought about him? Oh, you are too busy living in America in the 21st century that you have no time to think about Jesus. And I want, by the grace of God, to stop and ask you, think about Jesus. Think about him. In the quietness of your own thoughts, in your bedchamber, think about Jesus. Look to him. Cry to him. Ask him to be your savior and your redeemer. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to give you the power to live a genuine Christian life life. Ask him to work in your life, in your circumstances, so that you will be a testimony of what God in Christ can do for guilty sinners like you and me. So again, you cannot run away from that question. Who is Jesus Christ to you this morning? Is he a demon-possessed deceiver? Or is he the Lamb of God who takes away my sin? Is he the one who brings me back to the Father? Is he the one who rescues me from My friends, there's no other way. And in that day of judgment, you will agree with me that there was no other alternative. Jesus is either a servant of God or like the Jews said, a servant of Satan. 
you agree with them? Or do you agree with Jesus and believe in him? That is what this passage is all about. That is what God is all about. That is what, in many ways, the Bible is all about. It is to confront us with this question. Who is Jesus? And have you bowed your knee? Come to him. Embrace him as your Lord, as your master. And embrace him and say to him, your word is what really counts in my life. Not what I think, not what I want, but what you want. We've been speaking about the Apostle Paul in many ways. Remember how he hated Jesus. But Jesus came to him anyway. Even though he hated him. He didn't say to him, oh, you will see. You will see on the day of judgment how I will fix you. No, he didn't. He came to him in the darkness of his own hatred and called him and changed his heart and made him a new man. Even here, you know, if can you imagine if we read the Bible and says, when Jesus saw their thoughts, he cursed them and they died. I mean, if he said that, it would be absolutely just and right. But he did not do that. He gave them another another opportunity and another opportunity. In fact, at the end of his life, Jesus was weeping when he thought about Jerusalem. He wept. That's how keenly he felt for them. I want to say to you, you are here this morning, perhaps you don't even realize it, because Jesus is being kind to you. He is being gracious to you. He is not wishing that you should fall into your unbelief and perish in your sin, which you love. But he is gracious and kind and patient and striving with you that you would not destroy your life by your love of sin you will turn to Jesus. Like he did, he reasoned with his people. We said that last week. He reasoned with them. He is reasoning with you and saying, come to Jesus. Embrace him as is offered in the gospel and you will find pardon cleansing, forgiveness and you'll be accepted as a child 
of God. So I leave those questions with you, my friends. Jesus, this morning, is speaking to you and to me. Who is he? Is he an agent of Satan? Is he the son of the living God? May God himself grant that you might be able to answer that question in a manner that brings honor and glory and everlasting blessing in your own life. We say all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.